0: Two great solidarities, two communities, two kingdoms that divide the whole mankind between the headships of the first man and the last man. Either you belong to the first man who is Adam or the last man who is Christ. This is what Paul discussed in Romans chapter 5. Each group has their own consequences that was brought upon by their heads on what they have done. Adam made the doorway for sin and death entered mankind because of his transgression. But Christ becomes the doorway to God's grace that brings justification and life through His perfect obedience. Being born under their race, determines the nature of their offsprings. And so if you are born in Adam, you are naturally born sinful and dying. And if you are born in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you are born with a new nature, same as Christ, free from sin, righteous, and eternally alive to God. This was Paul's elaboration in Romans chapter 5. And now as we Go to Romans chapter 6. Paul introduces listeners to the question, then how is that life under the headship of Christ lived? If you are in Christ, what natural inclination must you have? Is it still to sin or to live righteously to the glory of God? Before continuing on, I would like to ask us to come to the Lord in prayer. Let us all pray. O Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the name of your Son, our Lord, King, Savior, our only hope, Jesus Christ. We pray that by your Spirit, your Word will illumine to us so that our eyes will be opened and see the glory of your face in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On some of the conversations that I had with my manager at my workplace regarding religion, this one objection at several times came up on our discussions. And I'm sure that my experience is not unique because surely some of you who have tried sharing their faith into someone else might have encountered an objection like this. When you say that Jesus is the only one who can save me I'm speaking as the other person when you say that Jesus is the only one who can save me does that mean that my good works doesn't matter does that mean that God will accept me not because I do good things in life but just because Jesus died for my sins because if that's the case that means I can live my life doing whatever kind of sins I may want to do Because Jesus, anyway, have died and have paid for my sins. Am I right? This objection to Christianity is not new and actually have been going around. It has been most common, most credible question. But at the same time, this is unfounded and groundless objection to the gospel proclamation of Christianity. But... But even if this question is groundless, I wonder if we have responded rightly to this question. If I, for example, will be an honest inquirer of the truth, and you are the only Christian that I know, would you be loving enough to explain to me the answers that I need to hear so that my soul will be saved? Or if I would be a Christian which is struggling about my sins, how will you as a brother or sister in the Lord help me to find my freedom in the struggle of my sin? Well, Paul in his letter to the Romans deals with this question, not only to the questioning unbelievers, but also to those who are of the household of faith. He laid a strong foundation to their understanding about justification and as well as sanctification in Christ. His answer is going to destroy that ignorance of that doctrine which is in question. As we go through the text, I want us to see the glorious truth that Paul is stressing out in this passage. When we say we are united in Christ, what does that mean to us? I'm praying that the Word of God will help us understand Paul's meaning. That our sins are never the reason why God gives His grace to us. Because it is a gift to the undeserving out of His own good pleasure and will. That the only power that can render sin powerless in our lives is the power of God. Uniting us in Christ Jesus, both in his death and resurrection, and that our union with Christ is the only way for us to have the newness of life, holy and glorifying to God. How do we we treat the grace of God? Is it something that we use so that we can remove our guilt? Or is it something that governs our lives? Do you have the mindset that God is obligated to forgive you because it is His job to forgive and He is a gracious God? How do you view Christ's death and resurrection? Is it important to you? And lastly, does your life show your profession as a believer of Christ? Do you live your life to yourself or to God and if anyone among us has not yet given their lives to Christ my sincere and honest question do you want to know why Christ is your only hope that you can be free from the bondage of sin where do you find your meaning in life my prayer is that you find it in Christ Jesus and that the word of God by his spirit opens your eyes and give you understanding about this glorious grace. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 14 explains to us that because of our union in Christ, we must count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God's glory. And so that we will understand what Romans chapter 6 wants to communicate to us, I divided our passage into three headings in the form of question in form of questions. Number one, don't you know that you have died with Christ? Number two, don't you know that you have been raised with Christ? And Number three, does your life reflect that union with Christ? Don't you know that you have died with Christ? Don't you know that you have been raised with Christ? Does your life reflect that union with Christ? let's proceed with the first question don't you know that you have died with christ read with me from romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 3 what should we say then should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply absolutely not how can we die how can we who die to sin still live in it And I splitted these verses into two parts so that we can see again the progression of Paul in his explanation. The first is the question of absurdity followed by the question of baptism. Let's look to the question of absurdity. And that question is, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? We can read that in verse 1. And Paul answered this with absolutely not. He found it ridiculous. He found it unbelievable that someone would ask a question like that. Have you ever heard about a dead alive man? Well, your answer might be yes because nowadays we have games like Plants and Zombies. We have movies like Land of the Dead. We have TV series like The Walking Dead and The Vampire Diaries. All of these communicates a message that a dead person can also live like us. And so in this case, I find it hard to represent Paul's mind because of the many influences that we have nowadays that might have crept into our subconscious mind. And so what could be the best illustration that I can use so that we can grasp Paul's expression on Romans 6, Chapter Two: How can we live? To, how can we, who die to sin, still live in it? Thankfully, there is an available option for me, and that is by using a word power borrowed from dictionary, and that is the word "absurdity," which I just mentioned a while ago. What is absurdity? It has the same meaning with being illogical, irrational, silliness, incongruity propesterousness, or having no logic at all. And just like what my daughter commonly expressed, I don't see any logic in this. This is what Paul expressed in the absolutely not response. And to, resp- to replace the question of absurdity, I rearrange it as per the doctrine that Paul has already discussed in the previous chapter. It will sound like this. Hey Paul, when you say that the law was added so that by the transgressions of it, sin is multiplied. To make sin as utterly sinful, to reveal our sinful nature, and that even sins are multiplied, God's grace is even more than that. God's grace abounds more to forgive our sins. Then what about this? Why not sin all the more to multiply that grace? And so Paul answered this question with absolutely not and three times absurdity, if I may use my imagination. For how can a dead man still produce sin? He has no more power. He has no more life no more strength, no more ability to exert his will and his mind because he is basically dead. And so your question, I'm Paul talking to the person who might ask this question, your question doesn't make sense at all. Or if I use my daughter's expression, I don't see any logic in this. But then how can Paul claim that the person is dead and can do no more sin? Paul invited his readers, mainly the believers of Christ, to recall and think about their baptism. In verse 3, we can see that. Are you unaware that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? paul looked at the baptism of the believers what does your baptism says in ephesians chapter 5 verse 32 paul says that marriage is a mystery because the two shall become one and it is god's doing it is god that unites both husband and the wife that's why god said that's why it was said in the word of god what god has joined together let no man asunder in the same way our union with christ is the mysterious act of god and so let me use colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 12 which communicate this idea of god working in our union with christ it's shown in both the circumcision and baptism of the believer That the powerful hand of God is the one working in our union with Christ. Colossians 2, 11-12 You were also circumcised with him with the circumcisions not done by hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith, in the working of whom? The working of God, who raised him from the dead. Our baptism is the work of God. And so, in Romans 6, chapter 3, our text today, Paul used the account of baptism of every believer to communicate that mystery. Paul asks a rhetorical question, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? And so in our baptism in Christ, we are united in Him by the power of God even into His death. God baptized us into Christ into His death. Christ died so that everyone united in Him once and for all have died and was buried with him into death so paul can now ask can a dead man still sin how can a dead person still sin how can a person who died to sin still live in it sin is no more for all who have been united to christ because once and for all christ died and this message is always proclaimed during our Communion every Friday. When the Communion of Saints, we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, and we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes to make that sin to be no more. As an illustration, I would like to use an imperfect example based on my actual experience. I used to have a roaming number from the Philippines, which is tied up to my online banking in the Philippines. (laughs) But recently, that number, because of me not putting a credit, has expired. And my problem is that whenever I'm doing an online bank transaction, it always sends the OTP, one-time password, to that old number. And that makes it impossible for me to continue my transaction Because there's nowhere to know what OTP was received. And just like that expired SIM card, in the same way, your old self, when it was united to Christ, has expired. It has expired with Christ Jesus in His death. And because of your union with Christ, you are united also in His death to sin no more. All those who has an expired old self has no way to live a sinful life because basically, they are dead. But Paul did not end his argument with the death of Christ only. Paul reminds his listeners that not only did Christ die, but also he was raised back to life by the glory of the Father so that we can have that newness of life. And that we proceed our second main question. Don't you know that you have been raised with Christ? Let's read from Romans chapter 6, verse 4 to 11. Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death has no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me divide this passage into three answers to our question. Our question, don't you know why you've been raised with Christ? And that answer, the first answer is that, so that we may walk in the newness of life. In the previous chapter, Paul exposed the problem of all humanity, the problem of being born into this world with the nature not different from their ancestor, Adam. All have been born physically alive, but dead spiritually by nature we are unable to love God because we are dead in our transgressions and our and the only solution to this problem is the removal of that old nature and the possession of a new kind of nature and that's why Paul in Romans 6 5 emphasized that union of believers to Christ not only in the likeness of his death removing the old self but also in the likeness of his resurrection possession of new self this proceeds from the message of baptism into christ's death and then raising up to life again by the glory of the father the two are related paul's emphasis here is that the old nature and the new nature is brought that is to be brought about God cannot coexist in us together we cannot have two nature either we died and be buried with Christ because of our sin and with the likeness of his resurrection receive the new life by the spirit or we remain in our old nature and remain dead in our transgression that was Paul's point when he said so that we may have the newness of life in another passage of the bible we can read that same idea that was being communicated and this time it's from the lord jesus christ himself in john chapter 3 verse 3 we can hear jesus replying to nicodemus truly i tell you unless someone is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god Jesus said, you must be born again with a new life, with the newness of life. And that can be yours only because it is caused by God, by His Spirit. It is not the working of our own human effort. It is caused by God through His Spirit. To cut to the point, the Word of God teaches us that church, the Church of Christ is the accumulation of those who possess this new life. The newness of life. The Church is the new race who were all born again by the Spirit. And by the glory of God united with Christ Jesus. Having been brought and having been raised back to life. With what purpose? With the purpose of walking in the newness of life. In the final analysis of this verse, we are those who are dead in sin, but alive to God. Let's go to the second answer, why you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ so that you may no longer be enslaved to sin. As Paul continues, he's plain. The deeper problem of our old nature in the natural natural inclination of sin against god to give us a true uh, and proven example we look at the example of our children we parents groom our children so that they will grow up to be a good person we teach them that the moment they made a mistake acknowledge that and seek for forgiveness say sorry but the very first time they knew they had done wrong, the inclination of their young mind is what? To either make excuse to lie about it or to point the blame to others. If this has not happened for the first time, for sure it will happen the next time or the third time. That sinful nature will surface. And the same... That is true to our children is the same and true to us when we make mistakes in our workplace what is the natural inclination of your mind is it to hide is it to think of ways on how to lessen the impact of that mistake or is it to acknowledge it when we make mistake in front of our spouse is it to hide is it to lessen the impact? Or is it to acknowledge our mistake? When we make mistake and we don't want our pastor to know it, is it to hide? Is it to lessen the impact? Or to acknowledge our mistake? My guess is, the first two are often the first choices. And so what's God's solution to our deep, deep problem of sin? Well, Paul explained in verse 6 that our old self us to be crucified with christ because in our old nature this body is ruled by sin and by saying it is ruled by another it is to say that we have a master and we are the slave our inclination is to obey our master and so paul explains that the only way for our body not to be slaves of sin is for that body to die with Christ through the cross. That does not mean that we have to go to the Mount Calvary and crucify ourselves literally. What Paul means to say is that so that we will understand, he used the picture of baptism so that we will see that our union by God's power, okay, our union with Christ, our old self will be crucified with Him. Our old selves are rendered powerless because it has died with Christ and therefore freed from sinning. In this way, sin cannot rule in the body because it has been crucified and was buried and was rendered powerless. And the last answer is you have been raised with Christ so that you may be alive to God in Christ Jesus in our union with christ not only we will receive a new life and freedom of sin freedom or freedom from sin but also as christ has been raised back to life and not to die again so also we who have been united with christ will never die again in the same way that sin is no more to those who are in christ death is also no more to those who are in christ jesus let's read again verse 8 to verse 11 now if we died with christ we believe that we also we will also live with him because we know that christ having been raised from the dead will not die again death no longer no longer rules over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all time but the life he lives he lives to god so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus related to this passage we may recall a passage that paul used in the church of corinth to help us see the importance of christ's resurrection first corinthians five seventeen. if anyone is in, uh, sorry, First Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been ra- raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's why we need the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Because only in our union with Him will we be ever experience that resurrection. If Christ has not been raised by God, the work of salvation in our lives is not complete. Because the judgment that fell on Jesus Christ will only remain in judgment and without reconciliation. Truly, the justice of God has been served, but the problem will remain. And what is that problem? The problem of death. It is not solved because Christ remained dead. But God has shown us His grace. He raised Christ back to life so that not only there is an end to our sins through the death of christ but also there's an end to our death through the resurrection of christ jesus romans 8 chapter 9 declares because we know that christ having been raised from the dead will not die again death no longer rules over him through our union with christ because no, lo- no longer is death ruling over him, death shall no longer rule over us. Christ has put an end to our sin and death. This is the answer to our questions. Don't you know why you've been raised with Christ? Now the question it leaves to us in this letter of Paul is that, does your life reflect that union with Christ? Let's read from Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons. For righteousness, for sin will will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. In the beginning of our passage, we saw how Paul reacted to the question of absurdity. He explains that we now have a new nature, we are free from sin and we are alive to God. The new nature and the old nature cannot coexist in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 supports this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so in this last portion of the text that we are dealing with today, Paul communicates that we have to guard ourselves against letting that old master to rule our new nature. Why? Paul did not hide the reality that while we await for the, full, the, for the full consummation of our salvation, we live in this mortal body. This mortal body is what used to be in possession of sin. This mortal body used to be the slave of sin. This mortal body will die and will be replaced with an immortal body in the return of our Savior. This mortal body used to be mastered by sin, trained by sin, as and has been used as an instrument of unrighteousness. And that's why Paul used the imagery of weapon. He used the word weapon. It's an instrument that can kill either it kills sin by using our body and its parts for righteousness that displays our new life in christ or it kills the hope of having that life in christ by using our body and its parts for unholiness to do sin and later on bring death unto us if we profess that our life is in Christ, but our life is inconsistent to that message. Sin kills and it brings death. If we profess that the life of Christ is in us and display that righteousness through our body, then it is a weapon for righteousness to kill sin and live a holy life unto God. As an illustration, I want to use a illustration that I want to borrow from Sister Princy. There is this funeral that is happening. All attendees and the family members gathered together in the service. They pray, they cry. The pastor gave the message and read the scripture. Everything was done as beautifully until the final send-off of that person. Finally, time came to bury him. They all together took him to the cemetery Cemetery, again, did the final service, and finally lowered him six six feet deep under the ground and well cemented. They all cried and some yelled in heartache. And finally, a beautiful slab was placed in the opening of the pit where the dead person was, and they closed it, put dates and names were written in it, and all left the cemetery and returned home. But when the dead man's family returned home, they saw an astonishing sight. Can you guess what? The dead man is alive, and he is seated on their sofa, all good and well. They all yelled again, not out of sorrow and joy, not out of sorrow or joy, but out of fear when they see that dead person become alive again. And so, what does that mean to us? Sin that is once buried cannot come back again to life. We are not slaves to sin, we are under the grace of God. In the same way, sin and death is a fearful thing to be existing in the lives of those who profess their faith in Christ. In the lives of those who are united to Christ, sin is no more and death is no more. We are dead in sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus for His glory. Do you struggle with sin? There is a grace from God when He unites us in Christ Jesus by faith. If you are united in Christ, then Christ died to make an end of your sin. Do you struggle with anger, with lying, with malice, with lust? These sins are no more, for when Christ was put to death, you died with Him, buried with Him, so that sin, so that that sin is no more. So let me ask you again. Don't you know why Christ died? Are you afraid of death? Is your hope in this life only of what you physically possess? Do you see your life only as it is? Christ has resurrected so that He can give you a new life. Christ was resurrected so that death is no more. Put your hope in what God offers you in Christ Jesus. Don't you know why Christ was resurrected? Does your life reflect that grace? Live your life in joyful thanksgiving to what God has done to save you. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus for His glory. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 14 informs us that God's grace is supplied to us not because we feed it with sin. The grace has put an end to that sin through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. This same grace is what mysteriously unites us in Christ by the power of God. Through baptism, we can see the message of God being communicated to us. This mysterious act of uniting us in Christ. Jesus is displayed in our dying with Christ and our raising back to life in the act of baptism. That's why it's not through our human effort. It is an act of God. It is all God's work and to Him belongs all the thanksgiving and all the glory that He deserves. The cross is where we see that wonderful works of God into our salvation. Christ died to pay for the penalty of your sin. Christ was raised back to life to bring life to us with a new nature free from sin and alive to God for His glory. Let us all pray. O Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son by faith. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have the old nature that needs to be crucified with Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that that becomes true to us so that what is true of Christ will be true to us, that you have raised him back to life, to make an end of our sin and to make an end to the death which is the power of that sin. Please help us to live this life to the glory of your name. In Christ Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen and amen.